Hi, my name is Scott and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website www.RestoredTemecula.Church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. With all that said, we hope you enjoyed the message. I love you guys. Okay. So we are in a season as a church where we really feel like God is, is, is on about something specific in us as individuals, us as a collection of gospel communities, us as a church as a whole, and that it's, it's this idea, this concept, this biblical concept of, of priesthood. Um, and specifically, I believe that God is, is inviting us into a restoration project, if you will, and it's restoring our identity as priests. So if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you have his spirit living on the inside of you, it, it, it means some things. And one of the things that it means is it, it, have, it has an effect on who you are. It has an effect on your identity. We talked about our, our sonship, right? Not just for boys, but for girls. Not just for men, but for women. It's an idea of we're heirs. We're, we're, we're in the household of God. We relate to God as Father. That's, that's, a, that's a massive element of who we are as Christians. That's one example of how the, the gospel of Jesus impacts our identity. Another profound impact on our identity is this idea of a priesthood, a collective of priests. Um, and when I say priest, what I mean is I mean a person, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has oriented their life around blessing and ministering to God. Not to earn something from him, not to get something from him, but just because he's worthy, just because he's wonderful. So it's this idea of, of, of a, a life of oriented around worshiping him just because he's worthy. <clears throat> so when we talk about a priesthood, we're talking about a collective of priests, a collective of people whose life is oriented around blessing God, ministering to him. And, and we really believe that God's, he's doing this, he's cultivating this in us in this season. And so we've kind of just been like camping out on exploring what it looks like to be those kinds of people. And so, I don't know, it's been a, it's been a really beautiful time as a church. Now, this morning, I wanted to set the table for that because I think there's an intersection that God wants to do this morning. Um, and the intersection is with what God is doing in us and, I, and you're going to hear from Joss in just a second, and what God has done and is doing um, through the life of my friend, our friend, Josh Lewis. Now, what you need to know about Josh, uh, I really like Josh. Um, <laughs> no, I, I really do. What I, what I really like about Josh is I feel like he has, he has a unique... Um, God's hand is on his life in a unique way, and I think God has given him faith to step into things that some people might not step into. Um, he's a talented guy, gifted musician. His background, you hear about that, but Josh leads a church in Denver, Colorado. And if you've ever been to Denver, Denver's not the easiest place to plant a church, okay? It's actually profoundly challenging. And, and God, in a unique way, has done some really beautiful things through Anthem Denver, the church that Josh and his wife Courtney lead. 
And so one of the other things you need to know about Josh, many of you guys have, uh, have been journeying with us for a while, but every year we do um, an initiative that we call Give Love, where basically what happens is we raise as much money as we possibly can as a family of churches to give away to different kingdom initiatives. So get a bunch of money, give it away, okay? And uh, was it four years ago-ish? Four years ago, uh, the recipient of the Give Love was Josh in Anthem Denver to get their church plant kind of more settled financially. And so you, many of you guys in the room were very generous, sacrificially generous to, to invest, if you will, to sow seeds, to sow kingdom seeds to the work that God's doing in Denver, Colorado. And so I want you to, I want, I want to put a, a name and a face to the church, to Anthem Denver, the church plant that you guys have been praying for and, and supporting in Denver. But also, you need to know too, like Anthem, Denver, and Josh specifically, they're, uh, we're kind of finalizing, uh, I guess, a process of them becoming part of our restored family of churches. And so the relationship's always been there. Josh did a, a bit of a church planting residue with Restored Uptown down in San Diego. He's not like, we don't have really guest speakers here. Um, it's just not something that we really do. So Josh isn't like a guest speaker coming in because, you know, me or Herrick or somebody else is on vacation. That's not what's happening. Um, Josh is, is a brother. He's an ally. He's a comrade. And more than that, he's extended family. We, we talk about the church as the family of God all the time. You are part of a global story. You're part of not just a global present day story. You're part of a global historical story and an eternal story of God redeeming the earth, of him bringing his rule, his reign, his way, his kingdom to the earth. And so I want you to zoom out for just a second before Josh comes up and shares a bit of, about his story, a bit of what God placed on his heart for us in our community. And hear me, I think there's some intersections that are going to take place today. I think there's going to be some, some ways that God maybe, maybe um, some things that God might be inviting you into as you hear more about Josh, about him, what God's done in his life, what he is doing in his life, what God's up to in Denver, Colorado, and maybe just maybe what God is up to in you. And so without further ado, before he even says a word, we are people of honor. We are people of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Would you make a lot of noise and love to welcome Josh up to the... Per- Thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And so uh, just to bless him, I want to pray for him and pray for our time. So would you guys join us? Jesus, you are so good. We sang that this morning. Like circumstances will let us down. Brokenness will let us down. But your goodness, it remains. We always have you to look at, Jesus. You never remove yourself from us. We thank you for that. We thank you for your faithful love this morning. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would would use Josh, his words, his story, his testimony, his gifts. Spirit, would you use all of it to point us to the beauty and the glory of Jesus? We just want even just one glimpse. So we love you. We thank you. We celebrate you, Jesus, your body and your blood, your mercy, your grace, your friendship, your lordship. Mm -hmm. Show us the way, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you for Josh. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank Love you, Tom. Uh, I do want to say it's uh, 
it's kind of funny to me. Uh, years ago, four years ago, when you guys gave that money to our church, <laughs> uh, I'm not a numbers person, and to be honest, uh, like money and budgets and that stuff with church, I didn't, I didn't know I was getting into that when we started a church. Well, I just thought you just pray for people and talk about the Bible, right? But money's involved, and we, we, uh, we had this in our accounting. Every month, we'd get like a report of how we did and stuff, and pretty much every month, we had this uh, accounting uh, um, Gosh, I don't even know what you call it. We had a column called the restored money. <laughs> and we'd be, it pretty much it was like this. It was like, hey, do we have any more in the restored money uh, account? And it was always like, uh, yeah, we, do, we got a little more. And so I just want to say thank you. Honestly, it like carried us when <laughs> we were, uh, whew, uh, we, you know, guys, we started a church like five months before this thing that you guys have all heard of called the pandemic. Um, so things have been a little rough, <laughs> but um, I just, I want to stand and just say at first I have um, married to a beautiful woman named Courtney. I have two kids named Lennon and Violet. Uh, they're six and seven years old. Uh, they're the wildest human beings on planet Earth. I love them so much. But yeah, so about four years ago, three years, we, five months before the pandemic, we started a little church. You know, we were all starry-eyed, thinking we're going to take over the world. This church is going to be massive. And then the pandemic hit. And I'm just here to, to report to you that we survived. Uh, <laughs> It's honestly, it's been the greatest adventure. We love what we're doing. It's, it's been so fun. Uh, we've seen many new people come to faith. Um, I was talking with Tom last night. It's, it actually makes me really nervous oftentimes to see people out in the crowd on Sundays taking notes of things that I'm saying. I'm like, what, what are you writing down? Was I, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I say that because, you know, we, I definitely just, I get this sense with so many people in our church that they're for the first time thinking through a lot of this stuff. They're like a ton of people like, what is prayer, Josh? Like, I just need to know, like, what are the basics here? And so it's a really sweet thing. Um, we love it. And I'll just say, it's an honor to be here, guys. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Um, and so... I realize that many, if not most of you, don't know me, and so I wanted to share a little bit of my story this morning, um, and it actually attaches quite well to the scripture that I would like us to work through. Um, I'm sorry, it's not CSB. I know you guys are kind of a CSB church. Uh, if you don't have an ESV Bible, it'll be on the screen. And so uh, Mark chapter 5, um, this passage... Years ago, I sat down, began to read through it, and it, it did something to me. Uh, and that's what I want to share about this morning. I grew up in a Southern Baptist pastor's home. And my mom and dad are actually Southern. So you might know what that means. It means that I got spanked a lot when I was a kid. Um, I'm sorry to bring up such a controversial topic. I know it sometimes divides the room. We're like pro or anti. That's not, I'm not going to talk about that. But it happened to me, though. I, you might think that's why you're probably so messed up, Josh. Maybe you shouldn't have been spanked. But my brothers and I, we had been going on a lot of weeks, like a lot. It was like the ritual thing after church. 
All right, guys, line up. You know what you did. It's another Sunday. You're getting your spankings now. And it was happening, seriously, every Sunday. And we had been so terrible. My, my two brothers, uh, Jacob, Jeremy, and I, we were like five, four, and three years old. And we were a nightmare to the kids' ministry. I don't know who it was, your, your sweet kids' ministry person standing up here earlier. Like, we're adding classrooms. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Honestly, serve in the kids' ministry. But I was torturing the, t- the kids' ministry. And this one particular Sunday, my parents were done. They were like, this is, we, what do we do? We don't know what to do with you. You won't listen to us. You're not obeying. And they were over it. And we were driving back to the house, and we knew what was coming. My parents started into this whole thing. They're like, you guys know what you deserve, right? Like, yeah, we know. And we get home. We all go into the living room. And my, my dad says, all right, line up. And my dad goes into what's like almost like a mini sermon. He's like, you boys know that you have sinned. The Southern Baptist pastor is like preaching. You disobeyed, and you know that you deserve punishment, right? And your mom and I, we really want you to know what Jesus did for you. Jesus took what you deserved. When you deserved punishment, Jesus actually took that punishment. He took it from you, and he actually absorbed it into himself. And so, of course, the next thing that happened is that my dad bent over on the couch and my mom started to spank him. This is a true story. I'm five years old. My mom was spanking my dad. You don't know what to think. All right. Um, Well, let me just clarify for you. We did not in that moment understand the gospel. We, we didn't. You know, I, honest, my brothers and I, we were rolling on the floor like, this is fantastic. We were awful, and dad's getting spanked. We don't understand this moment. What is going on? I did not experience the love and the grace of Jesus in that moment. And actually, this is kind of my story. I, it was 20 years later that I then finally, <laughs> probably put my faith in. I mean, it was a long time and I, until I started to get this thing that my parents are trying to explain to me. Maybe it was how bad that moment was. It scarred me for 20 years. But guys, I grew up in the church. My life was the church. I, my mother was the children's minister. She played the piano. My dad is the, the Baptist preacher. And... It's not like I never heard the gospel, and it's also not like I never heard the gospel preached well. I know I was around a lot of really healthy, wonderful Jesus followers. I can't blame it on abuse. Like, my parents were were quite good to me. I probably heard the gospel presented or preached, I'm just guessing, at least 10,000 times before I was 12 years old. And, And I don't know exactly why I was so resistant to Jesus. Some of it's a mystery to me, but I know that I can look back now and see that I felt something like an outsider, like I was kind of on the outside looking in on this thing that is the church. And if these people actually knew the real me, if they knew some of the stuff I'd thought or did, 
the real Josh, they'd probably just kick me out. That's how I felt. And in Mark chapter 5, Jesus has an interaction with a man who has been cast out. I mean, he's kind of put the furthest that someone could be put from the community. We're like, we're going to put you as far as you could go. He's been excommunicated. And as I said just a, a minute ago, about 12 years ago, I read this story alone in my room, and I experienced something by reading it. It changed my life. And today, I just want to walk through it. We're just going to walk through this passage. And it's with the purpose and hope that maybe Jesus does something this morning. You guys up for it? Are we, are we good? Yep. Sweet. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let's read. It says, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, I don't know if you know this, in the gospel of Mark, the word immediately is just overused. It's just there all the time. I like to think about it. It's like, it's not a long, drawn-out Steven Spielberg movie, The Gospel of Mark. It's like The Fast and the Furious. It's like Jesus is doing this, and then he's doing this, and he's going here, and immediately this happened. And most commentators say that this word immediately is usually filled with, with quite a bit of meaning. And so, just earmark that. Let's keep going. What comes out of the tombs is a man with an unclean spirit. It says, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." Now, this whole story that we're about to go through here with this man who's been shackled, kind of kicked out of the town, if you were a first century Jew and you worked through this passage, every part of it would feel a bit unnerving. I mean, later we're going to get to this. They talk about pigs. There's this whole herd of pigs. It's extremely unkosher. I don't know if you know, that's really, bacon is a no-no. Um... And then, not to mention, also, this, this man's in a tomb, uh, also can be translated cave. And, and in the first century, not only the Jewish people, but most people, uh, broadly, they saw caves as the, the place where demons would live. And so caves are evil, they're gross. And then I just want to point out, it's interesting, you know, when you read the Bible, oftentimes it will say that stuff like, they had a demon, there's a, a number of different ways that the Gospels will talk about uh, the, de, the, the demonized people, people who are experiencing uh, evil spirits. And this way it's mentioned here in this passage is particular. It says an unclean spirit. And so what Mark's doing here is he's just highlighting. This man, he's, he's real far outside of town. He's, I mean, just can you imagine the desperation of this man? I mean, I was thinking about this, like, if we really didn't like someone here in town, and we're like, hey, I'm so sorry you've been a problem, we're going to chain you up, like, near the, the ocean, like, what the heck? You know, like, this is a pretty desperate situation. And can you imagine, like, in, in the moments where this man does actually have some conscious thought, like, what he might have felt like? 
He's unclean. He is the grossest thing in the mind of a religious person reading through this passage. A first century Jew would have seen this. This person is destitute. Uh, a couple of other things. I know you guys have been talking a little bit about the tabernacle and the temple and this kind of thing. Um, the Jewish temple was situated in such a way where there's this outer court. And anyone could go in the outer court. And oftentimes, you see actually Jesus kind of got upset. In the, there's this one moment where Jesus overturns these tables. He says, you're selling stuff. You've turned my, my house into a den of robbers. It's meant to be a place for prayer. It's a place for God. And that's in the outer court. They're selling stuff. Anyone can go in the outer court. You could be like a horrible person and be in the outer court. And so in the inner court, not only you have to be an Israelite, but you have to be pure. Even, even an Israelite who'd recently done something that would have made them ceremonially impure, they could not go into the inner courts. They could not approach the presence of God. And so I just want us to zoom out and think here for a moment. This first moment, Mark chapter 5, it says, Jesus, and Jesus is what? He's the very presence of God on earth. He immediately, where does he immediately go? He goes to this unclean, nasty, destitute person who's on the furthest outer rim that you could imagine. He's on the outer banks, and Jesus goes to him. Jesus is doing something here. This is profound. And I just, it makes me think, I was asking earlier, Tom, it's, I, I was needing to have my memory jog. Jesus says in John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. He's the gate. He's that inner court gate into the inner presence of God. He says, I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So, so when I was 18, I had uh, just graduated high school, and I basically ran away from home. And I say basically because, you know, it's legal when you're 18. It's not really running away. Uh, but, I mean, for three, it was like three and a half, four years, I only spoke to my parents, like, you know, maybe four times. Um, and in all honesty, transparency, the usual reason I called my mom was because I had no more money in my bank account. Um, I'm a musician, I joined a band, uh, and we were kind of like a, a rowdy indie punk band, and, and it's, it's sad to me, we were actually really good musicians, like I think uh, instrumentally we could handle ourselves, I'm not bragging, uh, because uh, the music is, was terrible, uh, <laughs> like the stuff we were creating, it was bad. People are like, oh, I want to hear your band. Is it on Spotify? It is. I'm not telling you the band name. Um, <laughs> and I did, I did the classic rebellious stuff. I mean, uh, I was angry. I drank too much. I smoked cigarettes. I, I, I remember the day I smoked, started smoking cigarettes. I saw a picture of this band that I liked, and they were all smoking, and I was like, I want to smoke cigarettes now. Like, that's wise and logical, right? Um, no, it's not for all you young people. We don't smoke cigarettes. It's bad for you. It's gross. Um, I messed around 
with, with drugs, and it was terrible. And, and I actually, I, I cringe a little bit with this part of my story because I know that there's always kind of a, a, a section of the room that's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> this is one of those testimonies. You did a bunch of bad stuff, and that's why you need Jesus. Clearly, you needed Jesus because you were messed up. And, and I just want to say, I, I, I mean, it's been many years since I was going through that. And I know the truth. I want to just share this with you. All people go to great lengths to try to either show how cleaned up and good they are, or they just throw their hands up and say, I don't need Jesus. I'm just going to break all the rules. Timothy Keller, he says, the gospel does not agree that there are spiritually two kinds of people in the world, good and bad. Instead, the gospel says that there are just two different kinds of people who are both running from God. There are two ways that you could run from God. You can run away by breaking the rules or by desperately trying to keep them. And so don't just get lost because I'm the bad guy who smoked some cigarettes when he was 19. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to run from the arms of Jesus. But for me, I felt unclean. I was ceremonially unclean. I'm in the outer gates. I'm in the outer rim. And for me, I like self-selected out. Like no Jesus, no church for this guy. I'm out of here. I ran as far as I could get. Let's keep moving. Uh, verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, this is the man with the unclean spirit. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, this is Jesus, by the way. Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. We can, we can just keep it there. Um, oh, no, no, we keep going. Sorry, all right, here we go. <laughs> and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. It's kind of tricky because Jesus is talking to the man, but what audibly begins to come out of this man's mouth, I don't know if you're picking up on this, is the demons speaking through the man. And uh, we don't have time, we are not going to get into talking about how demons work and all of this, but we'll make a, I'm going to make a few short kind of comments around this. I just observe something really stunning, I think. If you were Jesus, and first of all, uh, you speak to a person, and they reveal to you that they are an army of demons, what would you do? I mean, I would leave. I would, I would run. <laughs> like, oh, army of demons. <laughs> See you later. This, I'm done with this moment. We're, we're not doing this anymore. And I, I, just, I would love for you to read back through this passage when you have time. Look at the casual 
if not almost boring, non-theatrical response of Jesus. It cracks me up even. And, and I, I don't, oftentimes stuff makes me laugh, doesn't make other people laugh, that's okay. Uh, but Jesus is like doing a little like deal with this army of demons, which is confusing. And I'm sorry if I'm confusing all of you. We're not, I, don't, I have no idea why this happens. I seriously have no idea. But Jesus, they're like, hey, can we not be sent out of the country? But we'd rather go into the pigs. And the commentators I've read, they're like, we, a lot of them say the same thing. They're, we're not sure of the mystery of what's going on in this moment. But Jesus says, sure. And the, the complete irony, you need to see the irony. What happens to them after this? They all die. <laughs> like, hey, no, we don't want to go out of the country. We would like to go over there instead. And Jesus is like, okay, sure, have it your way. And then they all run off of a cliff and die, and no one's laughing. (laughs) Here's the thing, in this passage that I am so present to, Jesus has patient, humble, and yet staggering power. Like he's, he's not having to flex. He doesn't have to say, come on. You know, like you might see stuff, weird stuff on TBN or like uh, TV shows about uh, excommunicating, or uh, sorry, uh, kicking demons out of, uh, yeah, exercising demons. And and often it looks intense. And and again, we don't have time to talk about all this, but Jesus has power. Like it's just, and it's easy for him. I have a really ridiculous story to share. Um, my family and I, we live in a house that was built in 1908 in uh, downtown Denver. We love our house, but it's very old, really creaky floors, and we have vents that are on the floor, which is not always common, but the vents are really large as well, and the grates, you kind of like can see through them. And my wife, um, again, we have a six and seven-year-old. Uh, my wife is like, I don't know if this has ever happened to any parents. Uh, she just started smelling in my son's room. And she's like, oh, is it like a diaper? Did he pee the bed? Like, and she, she has fresh sheets on it. And she's, she said it was for a couple weeks. I, I'm gross. I guess I just didn't even notice. Uh, <laughs> and she's like searching. Where's this pee coming from? And she looks into our vent on the floor. And she said, I could see Josh. I'm not kidding. Somehow it had like caked to like a half inch, I could see of yellow. And, <laughs> and uh, I think I just wanted to tell this story. I don't, I, and, and she was like, hey, Lennon, so we only have one bathroom in my house. My son's name is Lennon. She said, so Lennon, what is this? He said, oh, well, dad was using the bathroom. I couldn't get in, so... He's like, I did it one time. I did it one time. He peed into the vent. And, and we like, you know, days later, we found out that he had done it twice. But, you know, for us with parenting so often, I'm like, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, I need all these creative ways. My parents are like, oh, what are we going to do to get these kids to stop sinning? And we got to flex and we got to try. And Jesus just says, he says, what's the phrase? He had been saying to him, 
come out. Where does this, ah, gosh. Mm, whatever. Come out of the man. This is all Jesus says. This convicts me about my prayers. Sometimes I think it's about how, like, I gotta, like, work it up. I'm just not trusting. Jesus has power, and we've spent too much time on this section. Here's, I have a really obvious and kind of dumb statement that I just want to make about Jesus here. And I, and I hope we can all just look at this moment and just go, Jesus is good. Like, look what he's doing here. Just approaching this man. He doesn't deserve this. This man's probably awful. He probably did some things that are shameful. But Jesus is, he's so good. And that's, and I just, I think we should look at this passage and, and just go, wow, thank you, Lord, that you do stuff like this. So let's keep reading. Mark chapter five, starting in verse 14, says, the herdsmen fled and, and told it in the city and in the country And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. I love the language right there. He's clothed in his right mind. And how do these people respond? It says, they were afraid And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Jesus is so good, folks. Like, he's really, really good. But do we all just respond to him as if he's really, really good? Do all the people you know respond to Jesus as if he's great? No, no, they don't. (laughs) A lot of people can see that Jesus is good, but they don't receive him. Here in this passage, there are people who see it. They see this good thing. He's clothed and in his right mind. But there, there was, some people are responding with fear, which is really, I think this is kind of interesting. Also, it's interesting, it says in the passage that, that many came out from the town, and we don't know how far they had to travel, but they, they may have had to travel a distance, like words getting out. And I, just, I want you to think about your church and about your community as we're thinking through this stuff. People will often want to get near things that Jesus is doing, but not everybody is going to respond and say, he is good. I want that what he's got. But you can see all the stuff. You can hear the gospel preached 10,000 times. You could be growing up in church and family and all this, but still get so close to him and never call him good. This is just clear. These people saw Jesus Christ in the flesh heal a crazy demon army possessed man and put him in his right mind. And they said, nope, you get out of here. It's really possible for a lot of us to do the exact same thing. And again, this has me thinking of my own life. For me, I was not interested. I felt unclean, excommunicated. Um, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms. And in this little book, uh, he talks about how before he came to faith, Uh, C.S. Lewis, he said, I thought about God as being really selfish. He's like, who's this being 
this cosmic, powerful deity who needs all of us to circle up and tell him that he's good. That's weird, Lewis thought. He, he uh, and I'm going to paraphrase kind of his thoughts. He says, it makes me think of like a politician or a celebrity who knows that they've got a, a lot of power and they just want to hear people say it to them. Lewis is like, man, what kind of God is this? And even worse, what kind of people give in to that little game? And they go, okay, well, like, I mean, think about the celebrities and politicians, people that circle up around and like, you are amazing. Like, oh, you're kind of weird. <laughs> it's weird. Lewis writes this. He says, the Psalms are especially troublesome for me. He says, the Psalms declare, praise the Lord. These are commands. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Praise him. Worse still was the statement put into God's own mouth from Psalm 50, uh, verse 23. And this is quoting from that psalm. It says, whoever offers me thanksgiving and praise honors me. That's God saying that. Like, whoever praises me honors me. And he said it was hideously like saying, what I want most, uh, what I most want is to be told that I am good and great. It was extremely distressing. <laughs> a lot of people will look at how good Jesus is. They will hear the gospel articulated and they'll respond kind of like C.S. Lewis did. It's like, who is this that needs my worship? And so at the age of 22, my life bottomed out. I very much aligned my thoughts and my thinking with, with him right here. I would spend many nights at, at the bars pontificating with friends about how awful the church is. And, and we'd just go on and on thinking that we were brilliant. We were solving uh, all of the world's problems. And uh, everything fell apart for me. My, my friends kind of ditched me. My band basically kicked me out, and my parents all along the way, they were trying to reach out to me, and my brother, who is a follower of Jesus, and actually, uh, he and his wife are gearing up to go be missionaries in a, a place that I can't name because of the way that it works with missionaries, but um, they're just praying for me. My mom said, and this makes me feel bad, but she said, you know, what you did to me, it really drew me so close to the Lord in that season. <laughs> Uh, you're welcome, Mom. Hey, that's what I was going for. Uh, but they would reach out to me, and um, even though I was so horrible to them, my, my dad would say to me all the time, there's a plane ticket with your name on it, and there's a place in our home uh, that will welcome you anytime you want, and that moment actually came for me. I called my mom and dad, and they, they paid to fly me home, and when I got home, they had bought me a car already, and... They helped me get a new job. My mom even tried to set me up with some nice girls from church. That was weird, but it didn't work out. Thanks, mom. Uh, my parents received me with so much love, and then somehow I, I then uh, found myself in a really amazing church and a community of people that love Jesus. And it was in, here in California, actually, in Ventura County, um, and my brother was living there at the time. He invited me to live in his apartment with him. And, and here's, here's where my story really takes a turn. The strangest thing started to happen to me. I was like, I'm doing all the right things. 
I'm going to church. I'm, I was reading the Bible. Like, it felt like for the first time for me. I was reading the Gospels over and over again. I was kind of fascinated with the Jesus character. And um, I, got, I, did, I got baptized. Hurrah. That was amazing. Like, I was 25 years old. I got baptized uh, 12 years ago. And um, I started having what felt like really demonic dreams, like almost immediately. Like, like just scary dreams. And, but they felt very real, like things were attacking me. And, and I had given so much of my life up until that moment to lust and, and sexual perversion. I was like giving myself to it, like going for it. Like, I wasn't trying to stop any of that. And I never had weird dreams before that. But the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I started having wicked, weird, and often lust-filled dreams. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, what, what is this? Is this what happens when you try to, to be a good guy and, and try to start doing the, the right thing? You're not going to church. What the heck? And I tell my brother about this. And and my family, my brother, we have no charismatic background at all. We're like Pentecostal, and if anything, we, think, we thought those people were kind of weird. And I remember my brother, really, he was like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he said, maybe we should just start praying before you go to bed. And we'll do that. And so we tried it. And uh, it, it kind of kept happening. So we prayed another night, and we prayed another night. And um, my dreams started to shift. They, they, they really did. And I started to have no longer those weird dreams at all. And, and I started to feel like, wow, I think some of these dreams seem kind of significant. And the opposite, where I feel like maybe, I don't know if this is a thing, but maybe God is saying things to me. What do you think about that, Jacob? He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> and um, such a clear moment for me, guys. Uh, there was this morning where I was waking up where I distinctly heard, read Mark 5, read Mark chapter 5, read Mark 5, read Mark 5. And I, I just really dismissed it and thought, this is just like a weird burrito from last night. And, but I was like, I'm going to read this. I'm alone in my room. And I sit down to read Mark chapter 5, and I read all that we've worked through up until this point, and then I read this section, Mark 5, starting in verse 18. The townspeople had just asked Jesus and his disciples to leave, and it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. And here's my simple story, folks. Uh, we started a church four years ago because of this passage. And all I'm trying to do, and I recommend all of you try to do, is just respond to Jesus like this. Go to your friends and tell them what God has done for you. 
There you go, seminary class over. <laughs> I, how, how good has God been to you? And what kind of mercy has he shown you? For me, for me in this moment, I was telling the prayer team this morning, I, in this moment in my room, I felt like the crowd seems like you might know Saved by the Bell. Anyone know Saved by the Bell? <laughs> uh, I just judged your age a little bit. Um, if you don't know, so Zach Morris, he's the character in the show, he often does this weird thing where he, like the show plays on normally, but he'll sometimes stop and look directly at the camera and talk to you. And it's weird because in film that doesn't usually happen. Usually characters like are playing out their thing. But he stops and looks. And when I was in my room, I'm not a charismatic. I'm now. But uh, <laughs> in this moment, I'm just praying that the weird dreams would go away. And I start reading the Bible. And I feel like God turned his face and he was looking at me. He's, he was saying, you're like this man was. You were kind of a mess, Josh. But I, I am remaking you. And you're now beginning to stand on your own two feet and, and you're in your right mind or, or getting there. <laughs> I'm putting you back together. You are not unclean. You're not for the, for the furthest out there rim. You should come on in. There's this line from this uh, band I like called The National. Um, that it used, this line used to really resonate with me. It says, yeah, yeah, God loves everybody. Don't remind me. Because, you know, it's, it's true. You could be told 10,000 times, God loves you. You can be told it over and over and over again, but it just doesn't mean that much until you feel like he's looking at you, until you experience that the Lord says it to you. Josh, I'm looking at you. I can see your pain. I can see your life. You are not unclean. And there in my room, my humble little apartment room, I felt like something or someone was with me, and it was the Lord. And so, yeah, we, we started a church because of that, <laughs> and that's, that's been kind of my, Jesus gave that as kind of like a life mission. Um, for me, that, that I would be someone, and it's particular for me, this is why I kind of wanted the ESV. The ESV says, go to your friends. And for me, it was like those kind of dingy, dark bars that I spent time with, the, the artists, or, honestly, just the people in Denver that I used to know, like the Lord was saying, hey, you should go to them. You should tell them about what God has done in your life. And, and I love this about your guys' story. Um, I don't know if you know this, like, Tom grew up here. I'm sure you all know this. And I think it's probably not the exact same, but a similar, like the Lord called Tom back to his, his home place because he loved the people of this place and this city. And, and last night we hung out in Temecula and, and Tom's telling me about it. And I can feel that this place means a lot to him in a way that it'll probably never mean to me. I, I've had a very wonderful time here, but I didn't grow up here, you know? And like, my heart longs for those people, 
from my city. They have this certain weird Denver thing about them. They're like crunchy and they like wear Birkenstocks and uh, oatmeal all the time. It's, and they're hugging trees and I love them. <laughs> Go to your friends and what do you tell them? I, I think this is like an amazing evangelistic like strategy for all of you. You don't need to really know that much. Just testify. Like, who has, has God done anything for you? So let's close the loop on C.S. Lewis. After he came to faith, he realized he had really misunderstood it. He's like, oh my gosh. He realized that he, he misunderstood God's need for praise. It's not so much that God needs it as if God's like a, some needy and desperate person, but it's actually we are denying reality when we don't praise him. If we don't recognize the power, the beauty, the goodness, we're denying reality. We're actually living in a false world when we don't praise. Do you realize this? When we're not praising, we're living in this, this world that says there's better things than God. And there's not. <laughs> and you know, like you may have heard Jesus says that the Father loves to give good gifts to his children. One of the gifts he wants to give to you is that you would recognize the best gift that there is, which is him. And he wants to give that to you. He wants to free you. He wants to call you unclean. He wants to call you clean, excuse me. Lewis writes this, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. Have you ever been around people who are just recently dating or married? They're so annoying. Like, yeah, you like each other. <laughs> the delight is incomplete till it is expressed. You ought to tell your, your husband or wife, your, your lover, that you love them. If you don't, you're doing it wrong. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good the author is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. Delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's not wrong. It's so right for God to call us into praise. And so my question for you this morning, and this is my closing, I want you to consider this. I have some questions for you. Has Jesus addressed you directly any time recently? Have you experienced God's love? Answer this for yourself, and you can say yes or no in your own heart. Have you experienced his love reaching down into the deepest part of you? Have you experienced that? Has his love addressed some of your pain? Because if not, 
I would love to pray for you. I know you guys have prayer team. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, new in the house here. We would love to, to pray that the Lord would do that. And I just love thinking, again, just go back through the story. Jesus is simple and calm. We don't need to, like, shake it out of the heavens. He would love to show up and reach into the depth of your inner being and tell you, that you are his beloved. He would love to do nothing more, nothing less. Have you experienced his love reaching down? Maybe the answer is no for some of you, and I think we should pray for God's presence to touch. Like, here's the thing. Um, Do you know, like, there's knowledge, and then there's knowing. Do you got, like, shake if you, shake your head if you get, yeah. Uh, it, this is my, I'm, I promise I'm done. For years, I've loved this uh, chef named J- David Chang. He has Netflix series and does a bunch of shows where he talks about food. And, and for years, I've just loved all of it. I, I've watched all of it. I've got online and I've seen tons of pictures of all of his food. And it's just so incredible. It looks so amazing. I've literally never tasted one thing that David Chang has ever made, <laughs> ever. But I'm kind of like, I, and I realized recently, I'm like, I'm really into this guy who I've never even had any of his food. And there's such a difference between like, oh, wow, that looks, to see something and to hear about it and then to taste it and to taste and know it's just, it's worlds apart, guys. And this is my prayer for you, and I, I'm gonna pray this over all of you as we close right now. Lord Jesus, may we know, may we taste. God, I pray that, that you would move us from the intellect and the, and the knowledge of the mind, and you would move it down to the heart. And that we would be people that respond from that place. Because we know our Father has called us clean and pure, and he's put us in our right mind, and he's clothed us. And you guys have been going through First Peter recently. He says all of these amazing, wonderful things about every one of you. You are royalty. You have a rich inheritance in heaven that's unfading. It will not go away. You could mess up a whole bunch, and we do. And that inheritance is for you. You're a priesthood in the inner courts with the presence of God, you have access through Jesus Christ. I'm saying lots of things that you could know. Lord Jesus, may we know in the truest sense our identity. That's my simple prayer. Full stop. Um, you guys stand with me if you're able. If you're on the prayer team, would you make your way to the front? Um, 
love that picture that he that Josh talked about of like the actor Zach Morris, you know, breaking the third wall of like looking directly into the camera, addressing you specifically. Um, there's some people that God is desiring to di- directly like address you this morning. Um, some words from prayer this morning that I'd love to share with you. Um, I feel like there's somebody or possibly several people asking the question, sorry, asking the Lord um, to renew the joy of your salvation. Um, And the words just keep coming to me. Those that look upon him will be made radiant. Um, I would love to pray that over you. Um, I feel like there is a call for our prayer, uh, for healing prayer for both vision and our right shoulder. Um, and then there were some words that Sarah and Karen had that I would love to have them share with you specifically. Um, so this morning I got a picture. Um, we went to Zion National Park last summer um, and we did a hike where we hiked down to a really pretty waterfall. Um, and when you walk up, you can stop and just look at the waterfall. And it's really pretty and beautiful. Um, or there's this kind of sketchy little trail where you can kind of walk down and you can actually come under the waterfall and dwell under it and experience it from the backside of the waterfall. And I feel like um, the Lord uh, is beckoning someone or people to take the trek and come into the backside of the waterfall and actually just really get to rest in him and experience him. Um, So if that's you, I would love to pray for you and with you. Yeah, and Karen had something that she wanted to share from last week um, that we thought was really powerful, so. Hi there. I'm going to read it because it was from last week. I felt very strongly during worship after Scott shared about the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. He was desperate for healing and willing to expose himself in front of everyone that was there in the room. His need was greater than his pride. I feel like there is someone here that is desperate and in need of a move of Jesus in their life, that they would be willing to stand up and expose themselves and come up during prayer time. God will meet them there. And this morning, as we were reading in Mark, thank you very much, um, you might have thought it would have been weird, you know, somebody on the fringe and cutting themselves with stones. And it's really a picture of who we are. There was a generation of youth who cut themselves just to feel. That's no different than cutting yourselves with stones. Um, many people live on the fringe and don't come under the waterfall. God is asking you to meet him. Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. This is is for you. God's looking at you and he's inviting you to more. He's inviting you to intimacy, to closeness with him. He will not force you but he's relentless in his invitation, in his pursuit. There are trusted women and women in the front that are making themselves available for you to have a moment with your maker. 
if you want Jesus, or if you just simply need the joy of your salvation to be renewed, or if any of these words is God's, he's pointing at you, he's going, come here, come receive prayer before you leave, okay? Band's gonna lead us, they're gonna minister to us. Let's fill this room with praise, let's fill this room with faith. Faith is trusting him. For some of you, your act of faith is to get your butt down here and get received prayer. For others of you, it's to confess sin and experience forgiveness and freedom. For others of you, it's to praise him because he's worthy. Let's respond with faith, shall we? Love you guys. We'll close in just a bit. Lead us, huh?